All right. Baptism in the Scripture, part six. Technically, it's part seven, because one of those was an hour and a half sermon review. Um, the goal, if we can, finish tonight, and then uh, Wednesday, then we'll do start the uh, seven I am, seven uh, signs with Elijah and Elisha. And, of course, that uh, Bible reading plan is on the YouVersion Bible app. Um, and I've talked about it in the podcast a bazillion times, so we won't waste time with that. So today we stopped in Romans chapter 6 is where we stopped. Romans chapter 6. What we have attempted to do is we've looked at uh, baptism in church history by looking at the Didache, Tertullian, Hippolytus. We saw how something that went from simple became all the way complex. It went from a simple baptism to... You know, people being baptized without any clothes on, having to have a demon exercised, anointing with oil, teach all the stuff that they added and added and added and added. And it shows you how quickly they added. And so we can immediately realize that the early church may not be our best indicator in how we should baptize unless we surrender the doctrine of sola scriptura. And even if we go back to the church, which one do we listen to? So ultimately, we would have to surrender our, our thoughts to, well, a specific church today, which would either be Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholicism, because it would be the oldest, right? And then we would have to surrender to that. So um, if we're not going to do that, then our only other option is to do what? It's great to study church history, but then go back to Scripture. And we go back to Scripture, we have not found anything that even remotely looks like anything they were doing. It doesn't even... Like, you can't, I mean, the closest would be the Didache. Would be, and even that's not even completely the way they did it. So Because they added rules. Like, it has to be cold water. Where is that? I mean, that has to be running water. Where is that? Like, like they just, all kinds of things were made up. So, we went through that. And so, then I, des- I decided, let's do a scriptural overview. So, we started in Matthew. We made it through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and we've made it to Romans. I'm not, I'm not going to go back and review everything, but we broke things into different categories. We've repeated those categories now 5,000 times. I'm not going to repeat the categories again. We've made it to Romans. We came to Romans 6, where really, if we can, fit, if we can come to some conclusion about Romans 6, really, we, we could stop in Romans 6 and pretty much be done. We only have one other controversial scripture, and that's in Peter. I think, uh, I, oh, we probably have two more we pro- I think we should have two more household baptisms. I thought there was a total of five. We found three household baptisms in Acts. Okay, And remember that uh, the household baptisms are typically used to prove which doctrine? If it baptism. Okay. What we realize is that in a roundabout way, not, not only do they not prove infant baptism, to us, or Stacy pointed it out, it almost creates a bigger problem. Right? It's not... Infant baptism, we would almost argue that if one person gets saved in the house, everyone is saved, which would be a bigger problem, right? But we know that the rest of Scripture would not support any of that. So, and uh, we definitely realize that two of, the three, two of the three household baptisms, clearly the other two, they heard the Word of God, and it appears that they heard, believed, and were baptized, like is taught everywhere else. So, we pretty much took care of that. Romans 6 is the problem, all right? So let's try to remember, remind ourselves of all the problems that come from Romans chapter 6. Oh, talk about one of the most difficult chapters in all of the Bible, all right? First of all, 
just, just remind ourselves, throughout church history, not everyone agrees the baptism mentions here has anything to do with water. Some believe it's just a, a word that represents our unity with Christ, our being immersed in Christ. So it's not talking about water baptism. Right, so we, we've gone through, let's go through all of this just to remind ourselves of a couple of things. All right, everybody ready? We'll try to summarize this as fast as we can. If you have questions, let me know. I want to finish, but I don't want to finish if no one understands Romans 6. Does that make sense? Because then we would just have to do what? We'd have to just do it again. So we got to make sure we know Romans 6. All right, so the first thing we establish before we even get to the word baptism is this. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, we can all agree on that, that everyone would be like, we shouldn't, right? We can all agree. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And immediately we have a problem, right? Because many Christians, most Christians, believe that that dead to sin, that, that we are actually dead to sin practically. And we know that's not true. Because if we were dead to sin practically, we shouldn't sin. <laughs> but we do. So we understand our way of understanding it. And I think it's the only other way that makes any sense is in one sense, I am completely dead to sin in my position in Christ. I'm, I am dead to sin because when I was united with Christ by faith, what am I united with? His Death, burial, and resurrection. Didn't mean I physically died. Didn't mean I literally died to sin. It means positionally. What is true of me positionally? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am now a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. None of that is true practically because I still have a sin nature and we still sin. So positionally, I am completely dead. The old me is completely dead. It no longer exists. And I stand now before God, per covered in his perfect righteousness, and his obedience is imputed to me. That is all true positionally. It cannot be true practically. Even though 99.9% .9 of churches in America will claim that it is. It just doesn't work. And, and it's so. this is always the problem. The church has so many... It's like the church never knows how to deal with sin. And the reason we don't know how to deal with sin is because we try to pretend it doesn't exist. Okay, it exists, right? All right, so immediately we know, hmm, this is talking about some kind of a positional reality, not a practical reality. Now, to demonstrate that we are dead clearly positionally, not practically, because even Paul himself in Romans 7, what is he going to say? Are immediately demonstrating that he's not dead. Practically, he's dead. And he even says at the end of Romans 7, which everyone skips, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And still acknowledging he's a sinner. Okay, so we, we definitely know that over and over. Even when Paul, Paul, later on, he talks about being the chief of sinners. He's not saying, I'm the chief of sinners because he's just humble. He's obviously, he's the chief of sinner because he still sins. I mean, I don't know how you can get around, around that. So, we, now we, we, have, we have, I think, the correct way to approach it. Now, immediately then, how is this true that I'm dead to sin? Know ye not, I want you to know, that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. 
So how am I dead? Now this is where the debate is. We've got two options. How did I become dead positionally? Clearly this is not true practically. How did I become dead positionally? I got two options. Either I became dead positionally because I was baptized into water or I became dead positionally because I am united in Christ. That I'm in Christ, Christ is in me, I am overwhelmed by Christ, I'm identified with Christ. I, that's, the, that, that's the only way to, to understand it, right? Because clearly it's stating that baptism is the cause of it, right? So a lot of people read Romans 6 to say, no, no, baptism just symbolizes it, but that's not the way this is approaching it. It's approaching it that how did it happen? Everybody read it. Well, read it the way it states. Because I was baptized into Christ. So, I don't believe water baptism accomplishes my positional standing. Now, if, if we believe my baptism accomplishes my positional standing, if we do believe that it accomplishes it, then what can we say? Then anyone who's been baptized would be eternally secure. And isn't it weird that everyone who believes Romans 6 teaches that baptism produces not only a positional standing, but a practical deadness are the exact same people who say what? You can lose it. So, which is maddening, right? Because on one hand, we could be, you think we could find some agreement. We go like, you know what? You're right. Let's say water baptism gives me the positional standing then it has to be forever, but then they'll come like, no. And why, why do they have to say it doesn't work? Why? Why do they have to give themselves that out? Well, forget just infants. Anyone. I mean, you've, you can baptize adults, and 10 years later, they don't even go to church. They don't even claim to believe in God. So immediately they know, well, we can't say baptism always works. So they have to get a way out. So if, if it would, we could probably find some common ground if we, if we could say that baptism per, does this and it actually worked, but nobody, nobody, we all know that that's not the case. So we think that this baptism is not water baptism, that this is, that this, just the word baptized there, it, it means to be immersed, but it can be united to, united with, and that we are united in Christ. Does that make sense? Uh, now, we do believe water baptism does symbolize this. We do believe water baptism does symbolize this. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Please note, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, are also, we uh, also should walk in newness of life. I like that it says we should. It doesn't say it doesn't even guarantee we will. I think that that's fascinating, don't you? And then, uh, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing then that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, once again, we have been crucified positionally, practically. Well, obviously we're not dead. Agreed? All right. And then it doesn't mention baptism anymore, but you, you can go on and on and on and on and on and, and look at it. All right? I, look, let me make it very clear. I know this is one of those chapters that 
Let's just be honest. It goes against our, our doctrinal position because we don't believe it as a sacrament. We believe it as an ordinance. I wish it, was, I wish it didn't use the word baptism. But what, what do we have to at least argue? We, one, we have at least, what, 20-something references of the times baptism doesn't use, reference water. So I think it's pl- possible to say this is possibly one. I'm not saying it's the best argument, but I, I think it's at least good. Second, I do believe if you say water baptism produces this, then you have to believe it is eternal, right? And, and clearly, even if you believe baptism produces this, there would be no reason that this produces this for children because every passage says you have to repent and believe before you can be baptized. So therefore, it wouldn't even fit there, all right? Anybody have any questions? I see everybody looking down at the text. So has everybody got questions? We're good? We're sure? All right. Y'all seem way too easily pleased with that explanation. Okay, I, I don't know. I, I'm not even pleased with it. Okay, I'm not, I'm not necessarily pleased with the explanation, but there's not a better one. We just, we don't really have a lot of options. We don't have a lot of options. There, you know, there, yeah, I don't know what to say. I just, why? Why do I have to use the word baptism here? Why, 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 why? All right. Okay. Next. All right. So can we all agree baptism is not mentioned again in Romans? All right. Not mentioned again in Romans. All right. Now we come to 1 Corinthians. Here we go. 1 Corinthians what? Verse. All right. Now here, I want you. Now, this is fascinating to me just from a purely, maybe from more of a symbolic perspective, but this is fascinating to me because first of all, who wrote 1 Corinthians? Who wrote Romans? All right, same author. So let me, let me just ask you this. If Paul and Romans 6, ju- this is just a logical kind of approach. We're not even looking at this from a theological approach. Logically, if you wrote in Romans 6 that the way you die to sin and basically are united to Christ is through water baptism. If you're the one who believes that Romans 6 is referencing water baptism, you think that person, the person who wrote that, would never say things like, I wasn't sent to baptize. Or I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. Right? Don't you, from a logical perspective? Because if, what's the problem in the church of Corinth? Sin. How do you die to sin? Well, if you read Romans 6, through baptism. So then why, what should, what'd be the solution? Get them all baptized. Even if you believe it's a positional thing, you would want to make sure everyone in the church of Corinth was baptized. So positionally, they would be dead to sin because you obviously know they're living in sin practically. So since you can't fix the practical problem, you would at least want to fix the positional problem. And if you thought it was a practical solution, then you definitely would want to be baptizing them. But Paul doesn't seem to approach it that way, does he? Well, we'll, we'll read it for ourselves. All right, Romans, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right. Now, we know there's a problem. If you go back to uh, verse 11, for if, uh, I keep saying Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that, that there are contentions among you. Right? 
So there's problems, there's, there's fighting, there's division. Now, why is there fighting and division? Well, you always know sin is involved, right? Okay, somebody's at fault. Now this I say, every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. Now, wait a minute. Why would he be thankful they hadn't baptized anybody else? Wouldn't that be the last thing you would say if Romans 6 was referring to water baptism? You would want to baptize as many people as possible if you believe water baptism did what? United you to Christ? and is, In other words, positionally made you dead and alive to God. Or practically, you would, the last thing you would want to be is like, man, I thank God I didn't baptize more of you. Now, if baptism simply points to this, symbolizes it, then you may be like, you know what? I'm glad I didn't baptize you because you've taken this symbol and you've used it as a, uh, an argument for division. But even, let's think about it this way. If baptism unites you to Christ positionally, if baptism unites you to Christ positionally, everybody paying attention, right? Positionally, or if water baptism unites you to Christ positionally, and then let's say, okay, I baptized Bobby, I baptized Sarah, and they were like, I'm of Trevor. And Stephen's like, well, someone else baptized me. I'm of them, right? Well, and, and, and then Bobby and Sarah started acting crazy, right? And then there's all these problems. What, if, if it actually unites them to Christ, positionally or practically, the last thing I would want to say is, hey, I'm glad I didn't baptize the rest of you. I'd be like, man. I need to baptize all of you to make sure that you're not united to Christ either positionally or practically. You would never say, I think, I think God, I haven't baptized more of you. You'd be like, no, I need to baptize all of you. But if someone has taken the symbol and is abusing the symbol, then I'd be like, you know what? I, I think God I didn't baptize the rest of you because you're using the symbol. Then I would be, then it would be a different approach. Does that make sense? That would make, that makes perfect sense to me. Now, just as Romans 6 is a problem for us, 1 Corinthians is a problem for anyone else who holds to a sacramental view. Because if it's a sacrament, why would you say, I thank God I didn't give it to you? Because they need it, right? Okay, so, so I think we, right, and then he goes on, lest any of you should say that I've been baptized in my own name. I baptize also the household of Stephanus, Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. He doesn't even remember who he baptized. Now, there's a household baptism there, but there's nothing there that would make us think that that means, you know, that he baptized babies. There's nothing there that would give us any indication. But, but put it this way. Now, now, in fact, actually, this would be an argument against infant baptism, would it not? Why would this be an argument against infant baptism? Well, you think he would have baptized more people if he was baptizing babies. Yes? I mean, he baptized how many households? Well, I mean, if he's baptizing... Yeah, two individuals in one household here, right? Wouldn't he be saying, hey, I baptize all of your households because I baptize all of your children? He doesn't say that. This would actually be an argument against infant baptism. And it would also, not only would be an argument against infant baptism, to me it would be an argument against what? 
that baptism unites you to Christ positionally or practically because he wouldn't be doing that. People say, well, they were abusing it and they were using it as a division. Right. And because they were abusing a symbol, he would be like, well, I'm glad I haven't baptized more of you. But if they, if they were being divided over what it does, he wouldn't say, I thank God that I haven't baptized you. He'd be like, I need to baptize you so that you're united to Christ. So from a practical standpoint, this changes how we should interpret Romans 6. I want everyone to see this. This should change the way we interpret Romans 6. Does everyone understand that? Because logically, you would never say this if Romans 6 is talking about water baptism and it actually accomplishes what it says that it does. You would say, oh man, guys, y'all got problems. Y'all got serious problems. The only way to fix your problems is one, to make sure you're united to Christ. I need to be baptizing you. Or two, the only way to fix your problem is to get you water baptized so that you will be dead to sin. And he doesn't say that. He's like, I'm glad I haven't baptized more of you. That, that, that makes no sense. All right? And then, especially verse 17. 17 is like, you got to answer verse 17. For Christ sent me. Now, you cannot. I've heard every crazy explanation under the sun for this. You cannot. No one in their right mind would say, Christ did not send me to baptize if baptism is essential for Salvation, because, it, because he goes on, he did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, right? Is that the word he uses? Okay, well, guess what? If baptism is essential for salvation, then he did send me to baptize because it would be a part of the gospel. <laughs> like, I like that, this is the end of it. Like, the, like this... That, I mean, to me, there's no more argument. The fact that the Apostle Paul, what was his job? Right, now he had to preach the gospel. How many missionary trips did he take? Didn't he take three? If you're taking three missionary trips and you're preaching to people about being saved, because that's what the missionary's doing, right? And baptism is essential, he'd have been baptizing like crazy. And if baptizing babies essential. He wouldn't have been saying, hey, I only baptized a couple of you. He'd have been like, hey, how many? The Pope was just in the hospital. You know what he did when he was in the hospital? Well, in the hospital, he baptized a baby that was born. Well, he was in the hospital. Mom had a baby. He goes down there, let me baptize it, right? Now he's being, why? Why would he do that? Even though he's in the hospital, and I love, his, uh, I, love, I love his quote after he got out of the hospital. You know, the reporter said, how are you doing? You know what he said? Not dead. Okay, that's, that's, that's hilarious. Okay, I'm not dead. Okay, I'm not dead. Okay. Right. So, but the point is, he's doing his job. Because according to the Roman Catholic Church, what did he just do for that baby? Or washed away original sin and infused it with Righteousness. And brought that child, in, in a sense, initially into the kingdom of God. The state of grace. Brought it into a state of grace. And if you're a Lutheran, you would be doing the same thing. You'd be walking around, going, knocking on doors. Hey, you got a baby? Can I baptize it? Hey, you got a baby? It, that would be your evangelism. You'd be standing at the mall. Instead of handing out tracts, you would just have a thing of water. 
Hey, hey, can you give me your baby? Boom, boom, boom. You'd, you'd be standing at, you'd be standing at, you know, I told you, you would open up a, a daycare center. And you'd just like, hand off your baby. Boom, boom. Right, right, right. But the thing is, is he says, I wasn't sent to baptize. You can, you, can, you can play all the games you want with this. I've heard Lutherans try to get around it. Look, if we have to acknowledge the problems Romans 6 presents or possible problems Acts 2.38 presents, they've got to deal with this. A man who, is abs- who wrote most of the New Testament established churches all over the place, three missionary journeys, and he's like, I wasn't sent to baptize. That would tell me what? Just logically. It's not essential for salvation. He's obviously not diminishing the the importance of, but he's just saying that's not his job. What was his job? Preach the gospel. I mean, that's the, I mean, I don't know how you skip this verse. I mean, let's read it together. I mean, everybody may want to just write this verse down and just circle it a hundred times. 1 Corinthians 1.17 For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect, or of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is unto the... He starts, that he was sent to do what? Preach. And if he's preaching the gospel... I'm telling you, let me make it clear. If baptism is essential for salvation, I cannot stress this enough, then preaching the gospel would include baptism. Because what would your gospel presentation be? You're a sinner. Christ died for you. In order to be saved, you must pit, believe, and be baptized. Just like they preach it in the Church of Christ. You, 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 can, you can talk, and I've heard it before. Well, they were abusing it. It doesn't matter how you abuse, abuse baptism. If it saves, it saves. Who cares how they're abusing it? I would let the church get as divided as they wanted to, right? Hey, fight all day over it. I'm still baptizing you because it's essential for salvation. I wouldn't be like, oh, what, well, 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 they're abusing it. They're abusing it. Well, then let's just stop letting them get saved. I, I cannot stress to you how significant that verse is. Does everybody understand? Like of all the verses we've looked at, this may be the most essential verse. All right. If we're going to put them in categories, remember all of our categories, candidates, mode, uh, not always referencing water, order, all of that. Let's just have this own, this is its own category. Most essential verse on the subject, okay? Mo- I'm going to put this as the most essential because this limits how you can interpret baptism, right? And again, it would be so different if it wasn't the Apostle Paul. But if it's the Apostle Paul who writes most of the New Testament, and who goes on three missionary journeys, and who establishes basically New Testament churches everywhere, this would be the, that wouldn't be the most ludicrous thing to say. What's the date of 1 Corinthians? Someone look up the date for 1 Corinthians. Of 55, this is early, early on. 
So this is not some late development. And and it's amazing that in all the historical documents, not one of them quoted it. Didache didn't make a reference to it. Tertullian didn't make a reference to it. Hippolytus didn't make a reference to it. Nobody made a reference to this. It's almost like this didn't exist. Now, you see, does everyone understand, though, where the, the, the dilemma would have arose in the early church? The dilemma would have been like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because you know what the dilemma was. Well, wait. It's, and mainly, the issue became babies. What do we do with babies? Because babies would die Early on, infant mortality would have been at extremely high numbers. How do we get them saved? How do we get them saved? And the only solution they could come up with was what? Water baptism. That's the only solution they could come up with. Nothing else works. That's all they could come up with. All right? And that's that's what they all pointed to. All right, there's 1 Corinthians. I know it's mentioned again in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 2. Oh, here we go. Now, this is the second most essential verse, all right? Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Everyone, let's look up all the English translations of 1 Corinthians 10, 2. You'll see, I'm just curious to see something. There we go. Baptized into Moses. How does Romans 6 say? Romans 6. Baptized into Christ. Now this they were baptized into Moses. Now those who are baptized into Moses here, are they put in water? Yeah, and the Moses. Okay, we, yeah, as long as we get a couple of translations that go this way, clearly many go this way. Now, look at this. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. All right, who's he referencing? Forefathers. Who are the forefathers? Israel. All right. Was Israel water baptized into Moses? No. It's not referencing water baptism. What does it mean that they were baptized into Moses? They're identified with, united with. We are united with Christ. We identify with Christ how? By faith. Baptism is used here for simply, we are united with, identified with. In fact, when, when were they supposedly baptized with Moses? In the cloud and in the sea. Did they get wet? No. So they were baptized without water. Yeah, now this is a non-water reference. Yeah, I, th- I, think we could, I think we can argue that Romans 6 is clearly not water, but this is clearly not water. In fact, this one is essential to prove Romans 6. These people were not baptized into water. They didn't get baptized by water. They were united with Moses. How were they united with Moses? Because they were, uni- they were with him and became connected, united with him in these actions that forever linked them with whom? With Moses. With Moses. And we are forever linked with Christ by faith. Oh, right, right. Yes. 
a lot of spiritual imagery going on here, but clearly, clearly, they were, we know that we're not water baptized. And, and again, the people here are claimed to be baptized are the people who did not get wet. They did not get wet. Now, Tertullian would have probably said the ground was muddy, okay, all right, or that there was moisture in the air, or that the, it sprinkled them, whatever Tertullian would have said, but they went over in dry ground. That's what the text actually says. Okay, all right, so, all right. Now, so that one, I cannot express to you the importance of this one. All right, next. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. All right, there, once again, this is not water baptism. This is not water baptism. The non-water non references are going up, are they not? All right, that, that's good, that's good, that's good. All right, next. Oh, just so that you know, some people do believe that's water baptism. Just so that you know that. But um, I, I, I believe this is baptism of the Spirit con concept. All right, next. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 29, which says what? Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Okay. For now, let's see. We're not going to have time to even try to fi fix this. Let me look at this, man. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll put a mark here. Let's just say this. Nobody really has a clue what's going on here, okay? Obviously, Mormons believe this is an actual where you are physically, you take names of people who are dead. Bobby is kind of, st stands and he keeps getting baptized for all these dead people. And then it's supposed to have some kind of, salvific effect on the people who are dead. We know it doesn't mean that. All right, we all mean, know it means it doesn't mean that. So we'll have to look at, we'll, we'll come, we'll circle back around to this one. All right, well, we can just put this one down as a challenge or a question, a questionable one. But right now we don't want to get so sidetracked into this. Does that make sense? We'll, 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 we'll circle back around to it and look at all of our possible options. But for now, we just want to see some of these other issues. All right, does that make sense? Because I don't think anyone here believes that you can be baptized for someone who's dead and it's going to be salvific, right? That would, that would change salvation forever, right? Because we could just take some water, go to the Buffalo Gap Cemetery and look at each name and just say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for that person, for that person, for that person. And then I guess nobody would go to hell then. Like that, it doesn't work that way. That's clearly not, what, not what's not, that's clearly not what's happening here. Everyone agree? Okay. Next, Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Once again, baptized into Christ, I think it's the same thing as being baptized into Moses. Once again, all of those who have been united in Christ have put on Christ. Right? I don't think water baptism accomplishes that. If it accomplishes that, then it would be forever. Right? And once again, if it accomplishes that, why would Paul say he wasn't sent to baptize? Because how do you put on Christ? By baptism. Therefore, you'd be sent to baptize. Right? And Paul wrote, Galatians, okay, all right. Next, Ephesians 4, 5. 
All right, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Wouldn't it be great if we only had one baptism in Christianity? Ephesians 4, 5. We don't have one baptism in, in Christianity. Just not, we don't, right? One is Pentecostal, doesn't have the same baptism as we have. Catholics don't. I mean, nobody does, right? So I wish there was one baptism, but there isn't. That's the way it should be. Not the way it's been for basically ever, all right? Next. Uh, we'll call that water. We'll call that water. Thank you for asking. I'm going to say it. Maybe it is spirit baptism. That's a good question, Bobby. I don't know. Let's just say I wish there was one baptism. We do know there's one spirit baptism. There's not obviously one water baptism, okay? All right, next. Oh, boy, here we go. Colossians 2.12. All right, here we go. This is where everybody, this is where all the issues start. This is where people try to claim somehow circumcision or baptism replaced circumcision, all right? Colossians 2.12, all right? You ready? First, we'll start in verse six. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, not after the rudiments, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of principality and power. And whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So immediately we know we're not talking about physical circumcision. We're talking about a spiritual circumcision, Right? Spiritual circumcision accomplished by Christ. Agreed? Now, immediately we know something. Um, we are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Now, immediately we know that the spiritual circumcision doesn't produce sinlessness. So, once again, this would be a spiritual circumcision, meaning our positional one, right? Because physically, what still remains? Sin nature. The body of sin still remains. So this is putting it off. Okay, right, right. Yeah, we put off the sinful nature where? Positionally, do I have a sinful nature? No, not positionally. Practically, I do. So immediately we know this has to be a positional thing. Most Christians read this to say that it's true practically, which is just total trash. Because if it was, if it was true, then we would stop sinning. I, I just, oh, sometimes I just don't understand. All right, so here we go. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. All right, well, clearly, this is what, what kind of baptism. This is, a, this is our union with Christ. This is the Roman 6 language, right? It's the Roman 6 language. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Once again, the baptism here is just my union with Christ. It's just my, I'm united with Christ. And guess what happens when I'm united with Christ? I am circumcised spiritually. I am dead to sin. I am united with his death, burial, and resurrection. And now I walk in newness of life. All of that's true positionally. Over here practically, what am I? I still have a sinful nature, and I still sin. That's the facts. 
I don't understand what's even complicated about that in any way, shape, or form. This has nothing to do with that baptism replaces circumcision. Therefore, this is, this is not water baptism replaces a physical circumcision. This is about a spiritual circumcision. But even if you say baptism replaces physical circumcision, there's still no place to baptize a baby because all the passages say they have to repent and believe. So it still doesn't work, okay? <laughs> Next. And not only that, if baptism replaced physical circumcision, the place to discuss it would have been the Council of Jerusalem and Acts chapter 15, and they did not mention it. All right? Because that whole council was about circumcision, all right? Next. Hebrews 6.2. Are we almost done? How many more? Okay, let's go, 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 go. 6-2. Okay, all this says is of the doctrine of baptisms. Now, I know immediately what you're thinking. If there's one baptism, why there's doctrine of baptisms, plural? I have no clue. Some may think it's referencing baptisms of the dead, if that's a separate baptism, but nobody knows. I have no clue. Why is this using a plural? I don't know. Okay? But, or... I, if we do believe there's a spirit baptism and a water baptism, that, that would be the doctrine of baptisms, plural, which there seems to be two baptisms, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of water. So then there would be plural. That would make sense, right? Yes? Okay. I think that makes sense. All right, last. Oh, this is the passage that causes all the problems. Uh, we'll make that both. We'll make that both. 1 Peter 3.21. All right. All we're going to be able to do here possibly is mention it. All right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. 1 Peter 3.21. All right. Now, he goes back to verse 20, which sometimes were disobedient. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was... A preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now stop right here. When it says those eight souls were saved by water, were they saved by being in the water? No, they were not saved by being in the water. That's, that's, not, that's not disputed. That cannot be debated, right? Now, do all translations say saved by water? Saved through water. Okay, is there any other translations? Do we have any other? Let me grab this one. Grab this one. That's 1 Peter 3.21 or 3.20. Okay. Um, uh, well, we go in, in a few, that is eight people were saved through water. When it's saved th- through water, by water, the, the point is they weren't saved by being in the water. Now, you can say, well, the water lifted the ark and carried them away, okay? But I, I, to me, you're being saved from the water, okay? But they want to say you're being saved by the water. Okay, so then you see what this is going to lead to because then the next verse says, the like figure whereupon even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, 
but the answer of God, of a good conscience towards God by the resurre resurrection of Jesus Christ. So immediately people say, hey, baptism saves you. That's what they say, and they believe that it is water baptism. Now the only problem is, the like figure is confusing, right? Because the previous people were not, got, did not get wet. All the people who got wet in that figure did what? Died. So what, I guess this is how they tried to do so. Water was a thing that saved them because it carried the ark away to a safe place. So water baptism saves us by carrying us away to a safe place. I understand that, like, the language there, but the image just doesn't work for me. The baptism, if we want to say, if, if we want to say baptism, right, what would be the baptism for those eight people? Well, the, the eight people, if we were going to say they were baptized, how were they baptized? Because it says the like figure, right? They were put into the ark. Okay, okay well, now you're going to Tullian, okay. All right, no, they were, they were put in the boat. So they were in the, in the ark. That's how they were saved. Now, I know the language here is that water saves them. Right? So I know what it's trying to say. So like I could argue this. No, it's water. Water carried them away. That's the like figure. And water carries us to safety. But to me, it just, I, I, it, it's such a broken illustration. They were in the ark. I'm in Christ. And so therefore, my baptism is my being united to Christ. I understand it just sounds like water there. I, I, I mean, I don't know how else to get around it. This is a, one of the most difficult verses to deal with. I, I, I mean, I, look, when I was a Lutheran, this was my go-to verse. Right? This would have been the go-to verse. Right? Now, what, the only problem is what? All the other, well, where, where, would be, where would be our biggest go-to verse to argue against that interpretation that water here is the thing that's doing the saving? It would be right, First Corinthians, remember I told you the most essential verse? First Corinthians 1.17, because if water saves you, Paul would never say he wasn't sent to baptize. He would have been carrying water everywhere he went. He would have just had a bottle of Dasani carrying it around, going, shh, shh. Right? I mean, hey, believe and be... It would just be throwing water on everybody. So I, I don't know why it's written this way. It is convoluted. It is confusing. It is baffling. I don't get it. Um, I will be the first to acknowledge. We can, we, can, I, we can talk all day about how to try to figure it out. It says, uh, like this translation says, we're saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body. That, seems to insay, that would seem to almost argue against water baptism, but the point is, it's not that because you get wet and you get dirt off your body, but that it does what? It's a pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what to do with it. 
We can sit here and argue all day. I don't have a good answer. And if I had a good answer, I would give it to you. I know this. I'm not going to base my entire doctrine on salvation based off that verse. And the reason I'm not going to base it off this verse is, number one, the people in the illustration that he's using did not get wet. And the people who got wet died. So I don't know if I'm going to, I know what it's, I know the way to read it. Like, wait, no, see, water carried them, so water carries us. But if water's the thing that carries me to safety, then Paul should not have ever been saying, I wasn't sent to baptize. Either Paul and Peter contradict each other, right? Or I have no idea, or we have to believe that baptism saves. And so either Peter is right and Paul is wrong. It's, it's the classic Paul versus James, right? Romans versus James. This is the classic 1 Corinthians versus 1 Peter. I don't know. I don't know. I know you're like, what's a good answer? I don't have a good answer. You can, you can work on it all day, but I, I don't have a good answer. It literally says baptism saves. <laughs> but James clearly says that we're not saved by grace alone. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? What? Right. So what some argue is, right. So, what, so how some read that is, well, clearly that's not water. Right? Because water, but then they were like, but it's not the, the water that washes away the dirt on the skin. It's the water cleanses us spiritually. That's the way, so I, you can go all day. But again, if that's the case, what do we, what do, we do with 1 Corinthians? Right? Did you have something, Sarah? Uh, uh, any answers? Okay. I, I, I don't know what to do there. I, I don't. I, I wish I have a good answer. So uh, this is what we can conclude, right? Looking Matthew to Revelation, we just looked at every verse, did we not? We don't run into any serious problems until we get to Acts 2, right? We don't think it's a serious, serious problem. We're halfway okay. The next real big issue doesn't appear till Romans 6. Romans 6 appears to be the biggest problem for us until you get to 1 Corinthians. And once the person who wrote most of the New Testament and the person who went on three missionary journeys who established the New Testament church, says, I wasn't sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I mean, literally, he said, it would be one thing if he just says, I wasn't sent to baptize, but to preach. Maybe you can make an argument. But he literally says to preach the good news. And if baptism is essential to salvation, then it's a, it's, it's a part of the gospel. And if he wasn't sent to baptize, then I'm sorry, it's not a part of the gospel. And whatever else 1 Peter is saying, I have no clue. I have no clue. I'm not even going to pretend. Look, I can come up with all the explanations, but all the explanations are just, you know, at some point you just got to acknowledge that verse goes against what we believe. But it doesn't go against what we believe if Paul is right. And I'm going to say Paul, because put it this way, is Paul hard to understand? Do I? Not in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, he's very clear, right? He's very clear there. Okay, yeah. But I'm saying, in first, I'm saying in 1 Corinthians, he's not hard. Hey, I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. I wasn't sent to baptize. 
That is as clear as clear can be. And at that point, that changes how you have to interpret everything else. Because I'm not, because is, is 1 Peter clear? It's completely confusing, right? Because how does water save anybody when they didn't get wet? So I'm going to interpret 1 Peter in light of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to interpret Romans 6 in light of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians establishes what we can and cannot believe about baptism. I mean, Paul's preaching to a church for crying out loud. Why would he tell the church that, hey, guys, I wouldn't sit to baptize? Paul, they can't be saved without it. <laughs> right, any questions? I don't even know what the final count is now. No, nobody had the count this morning, so I didn't really pay much attention. I mean, you did, but then you were gone the next time. Yeah, so I don't know. We, we definitely have well over 20 verses that don't apply, that, that says baptism that does not refer to water baptism. Probably tw- close to 27. So at least 27. And the ma- oh, look, all I wanted to establish is we had plenty. And as long as, if we, if we have over 20, then nobody can come to me and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Romans 6 has to be water. No, does it? And we could argue 1 Peter doesn't have to be water. Now, the only problem is, is water is being talked about. However, the people who got wet died. So, so you know what? I don't, I don't know if I want to look at water. Hey, hey, all these people who got water baptized in, in Genesis 6 all died. Yeah, you know, the ones who didn't get wet or not. So, all right, that's where we're going to stop. We may circle back around to the baptism of the dead. But for the most part, I think we've done a pretty good job. Yes? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Very difficult subject. We acknowledge what we don't know. Lord, we acknowledge what we can't answer. We're not going to make any, you know, pretend that we somehow have this figured out. But what we can do is cling as much as we can to what is clear and not cling to that which is unclear. Because if we do that, we just end up with more confused. We ask that you'll just help us constantly keep scriptures at the forefront of our minds and struggle with these difficult issues that we continue to pursue truth at all costs. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...